Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast is to share knowledge for realtors and raise awareness for Give Back Homes, where real estate professionals work together for social good. Jet Centers Aviation, Bentley Atlanta, Legends Global, thank you for your sponsorship. All right, everybody, we've got Thomas Wright with us today. He is the president and principal broker of Summit Sotheby's International Realty. And he has grown the company since he joined in 2008 from $135 million to this year it will be almost $2 billion. Thomas, it's so good to have you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and fill in the blanks on, on who you are. Well, I love real estate, everything related to it. So I feel so lucky to be involved in this industry. And I feel even luckier to be associated with the Sotheby's International Realty brand and know people like you, Jerry, and be able to network and and share best practices and do podcasts like this. So it's very flattering to be a part of it. I, uh, like you said, got involved in the Sotheby's International Realty brand after being a top selling agent at, you know, various other brands. And uh, since then, I've just been growing this company here in Utah. We're based in Park City, Utah, but we cover the southern part of the state down near Zion National Park in a city called St. George, Utah, as well as the Wasatch Front, which is the Salt Lake City metro area. So we're really covering the whole state of Utah. And it's just been such a remarkable experience to watch this brand take hold with consumers and with other top producing agents and uh, recruit them, get them to come over and watch this steady growth from 135 million in sales, as you mentioned, to now mm-hmm. almost 2 billion in annual sales. It's just been fantastic. That's incredible. And I'm excited to have you here today because what I want to, I'd love to dig in deep with you is not only have you been a successful real estate agent in your career, but you oversee agents and the difference between those that succeed and don't succeed and tapping into that and really into the listing appointment or what many call the listing presentation and you know, all of the beliefs about how it's, how everybody thinks it's done and what it is and what it really is and how to be successful at it. So, um, starting on that, tell, uh, tell us, you know, in general, as we go into this, what, what do you see, what would you say is the biggest difference between an agent that's mediocre and an agent that's just rocking it? Because, you know, we've got 5% of the people doing 95% of the business. What do you think the difference is between those 5% and the rest? The biggest difference I see is confidence. Uh, confidence is a calling card in our business. Clients want to see the confidence of a productive and proactive salesperson. And it can't really be faked anymore. I think there was a time in our industry where you could, with your great personality or just brute force personality, take over a situation or a client with a great personality and get business. The business has become now very technical. Uh, you have to have technical skills. You have to be good at presentation. You have to be good at negotiation. You have to be good at pricing properties. You have to understand how to put a marketing plan together. Uh, you have to you have to know a lot of different technical things. And you can't be confident as a real estate agent or broker if you're not prepared and you're not good at those things. So the confidence that wins is the kind of confidence that's not faked or one that's um, manufactured. It's one that's earned through preparation. And I believe when agents prepare and they're good at presentations and they're good at pricing and they're good at negotiating and they're good at their technical aspects in their business, Mm -hmm. then they win. And unfortunately, most agents just aren't ready, willing, or able to do that. And so it's an enormous opportunity right now that exists for agents, no matter how long they've been in the business, to rise to the top by being more prepared than their competitors. Oh, exactly. Preparation. Opportunity comes to those who are prepared. I think there's a quote, something like oh, yeah. that. It's so true. I mean, you just see, you just see it. I see agents that have been in the market or in the business for 10, 20, 30 plus years, and they're still just going out and winging it, basically. They don't really manage the SOI. They don't have their contacts in a CRM. They don't reach out to their clients. They mm-hmm. just kind of wait for the phone to ring. And when it rings, they just go out and kind of do what they've always done. Mm-hmm. And that's just not working well for people across the country. They Consumers want more than that. Well, especially in a business as competitive as ours. I think in Atlanta, there's about 17,000 agents. And I'm not sure that many houses even sell a year. So it's incredibly competitive. you got to be you got to be good at what you do. And you got to know your market. Um, you and I, we've, we've met at the... Um, 
the global networking events over the few over the years through Sotheby's. And the memorable one for everyone, especially people listening to this podcast, would be in Las Vegas, you did a class and more than filled a room that held a few hundred people. People were in the hallway trying to break and climb over one another to get in the door to hear it. It was so good about the listing presentation because those that list at last. So I want to, I'm going to let you take a lot of control here because it's your, it's your class and your information. Um, but go into that and tell us kind of what is your advice on this and in, in, in getting in winning these listings and being prepared and all of these things that make agents, you know, the 5% more successful than the rest. Well, I, it does go back to the pre, uh, you know, the presentation skills and the preparation mm-hmm. and everything that we do to get ready for it. But I think what resonated with um, everyone in the room, I think why it was so wildly popular with people was, it didn't treat the listing presentation as a 45-minute or one-hour event. My philosophy on the listing presentation is that you have to extend the presentation when you have as much to tell people as we do representing the Sotheby's International Realty brand. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, your pre-listing presentation, what you do the minute they call or reach out to you, how much information you can get in their hands before you arrive, exactly. and then what you do when you arrive, uh, how, how you approach things. Because if you're just winging it, the, the, the things that you don't want to talk about up front, because the client won't hear the explanations on price and marketability and positioning and advertising costs come out first. And if those things come out first, you're at a big disadvantage because then the consumer is just going to pick the person who's telling them what they want to hear. And that isn't always the truth. And so so what you do there, how you approach the presentation, the words you use, uh, the way you carry yourself, what you take with you. I mean, we really got down into the details of that. And then what you do after. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of listing agents get the deal signed. And the, the number one complaint I hear from consumers is I don't hear from my agent enough. They don't communicate with me. They signed a listing and then took off and I never heard from them again. Or I'm not hearing from them enough. I don't know what's going on. I'm not getting Mm -hmm. feedback. So we talked extensively about what you do when you leave the listing appointment and you're successful and what a contact management plan is for a listing so that you can continue to educate them on what you're doing and you can, in 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 an offensive way, instead of a defensive way, be proactive about showing them everything that we're doing because we do so much for our clients exactly. and they just don't know they just enough don't know. about it. Well, there's so much you said in that. For example, on the front end, in our business, we're trained to lead generate, lead generate, lead generate and call people, call people, call people. And then we get the business and everybody's happy because the sign's in the yard and we've got the listing. Um, but that's not where the money comes. It's great to have our sign in yard and great to have listings. And, and one of my favorite, well, there's a few, when you get that first call, the listing, the interview begins, first of all, it's two ways. And the interview begins when you get the phone call. And even before, usually they've hired you before they pick up the phone. But when they pick up the phone, you've got to make sure you don't lose the business. And one of my favorite things you said was there's this whole common thing. I've I've even seen it. I don't remember where about being 15 minutes early to a listing appointment. And I love it. You were Mm -hmm. like, that's just rude. Don't be 15 minutes early. Be on time. Um, but going from that, you know, I know we've got you, you're on the call, you're on the call. Tell us a little bit about walk us through the steps on that first call. When we, when you get that call for the listing appointment, give us some advice you have on the conversation, how it goes. Most people get on, they get the appointment and they're off. What would you say about that? Well, yeah, because they're trained to just get the appointment and they think Mm -hmm. by getting the appointment they've won. A great real estate broker will set the appointment and then create expectations for what's going to happen when that appointment arrives. And what I talked about in the class was a simple way to do it if it's an hour presentation. And of course, every property is different. Some require more time and some require less. But a good formula is just breaking it into three thirds. And so if you have an hour presentation telling them, hey, the first 20 minutes I'm there, I would like to tour the property and have you tell me everything about it. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. And while you're doing that, I'm going to make a list of everything that needs to be done in order to get the property on there, photographed and on the market. And I'm going to categorize all my comments into A, B, and C. The A's are the things that have to be done in order for us to take photos. The B's are things that I hope will be done because I think they'll provide a return on investment for you by making your home more showable. And C's, which are pie in the sky. If you can get to those, that would be great. 
but we're not going to count on them. And mm-hmm. so now that, that's a perfect example of what we're going to do the first 20 minutes. Now they're like, okay, I get it. He's coming. He's assertive. He knows what he's doing. I'm going to get something out of it. And, and then, you know, the second 20 minutes, we're going to talk about me, my philosophy, my qualifications, my references, the, the brand I represent, what that means, why that's important to you, and everything related to marketing. And then the last 20 minutes, we're going to talk about pricing and marketability, absorption rates, uh, positioning your home in the market, reviewing the, the competition. And, and then, you know, we're going we're gonna to bring it to a closure. So when you arrive at the appointment now, instead of when you knock on the door, just saying, hey, how you doing? Just kind of wandering around, with them, which makes people very uncomfortable, by mm-hmm. the way. You're saying, okay, I'm here. I've already told you what we're going to do. Let's spend the first 20 minutes touring the property. I want you to tell me everything you can. I'm ready to take notes. I'm going to start making my list. People respond really well to predictability and consistency. But I've been on so many listing presentations with agents, and most of them are good at what they do, and I don't want to be critical of them. But I think it's fair to say that many of them are winging it and they're just kind of doing whatever comes to mind and they're in some really bad habits. And so it just doesn't work well for them. Well, and we all know have been in any number of listing presentations. They, the first thing they want to talk about, like you said, is the price. And it's an, you're talking about somebody's home. It's very emotional. You're talking about home and money, home and money are two of the most emotional things in our lives. And it's, it's hard for even, and the more objective they are, the more emotional uh, the more objective they claim to be, the more emotional I find they are because people use mm-hmm. objectivity and analysis to justify their emotional decisions. And the point in that is that you get in that appointment and they're going to make their decision emotionally, whether they want to admit it to themselves or not, and they got to feel good. So this is a, it's a great way yeah. to make them feel good ab- and about what they're doing because they know they're going to get to the price, but now they're actually excited to tell you about their house and they're excited about to listen to you as you're setting expectations. So that's great. Right. And now if they do ask you, hey, what do you think it's worth? You can say, remember, that's going to be for the last 20 minutes. And I, I prefer the two-step approach to coming back and talking about value. I don't know how we as uh, real estate brokers can go to someone's home sight unseen usually and come prepared with everything we need to educate them on the value of their home. I mean, we've got to see it and then go back and do some research and be more thorough about how we're approaching it. And and, and if we don't encourage them to allow us to do that, we're actually encouraging them then to listen to the person who inflates the price the highest. And, You're exactly and I right. guess sometimes that works out, but, but it doesn't work all the time. And that's the most detrimental thing a seller can do is inflate their price because, Jerry, you and I know that when they do that, they end up taking price revisions. And when you take price revisions and you add days on the market, you end up with less. We end up with less. You end up with buyers who ask what's wrong with it. And, you know, the biggest challenge and you can elaborate on this better than I do, but is that a big thing I have is sellers say, why does it somebody just make an offer? They don't make an offer for two reasons. Number one, because they haven't seen it. And number two, because they're comparing other properties in the same price point. And if they're not making an offer, something's looking better. So what you've got to, and, and if somebody does just make an offer, it means they're a low baller and they're not attached to the result. And that's not the buyer that's going to give you the most money for the property. So... Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's 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 such a science, and mm-hmm. I don't think we do a very good job of telling them that. I, I also think one thing you can add to that when you're talking about positioning a property in the market is, you know, I've got to put a presentation together for you to justify to you where you need to be. And that's the same presentation that I want to use when buyers inquire about how negotiable you are or why we chose a list price. Because mm-hmm. if I just pull it out of thin air and try to convince you of it, that's all I'm going to do when a buyer comes and asks. And therefore, you shouldn't hire me. I want to be more thorough than that. So when a buyer agent calls me yeah. and asks me how we priced it, I can share a very compre- comprehensive presentation because the buyer's agent's also not very prepared and not sharing a lot of good data with their buyers. And so then what buyers do is they, they figure less is better. So I'll just negotiate as much as I can. And one buyer might think getting a million-dollar property uh, for nine, you know, offering 900,000 is a more aggressive way to buy than just offering a million dollars for a property that's worth one, one that might be underpriced. Mm-hmm. So they're trained to think that negotiating is the key. No, negotiating isn't always the key. The key is finding a property with the best value and making a play on it 
so that you can have some upside later on. And, and have a sense we, of, we can't yeah. do that when we're not thoroughly evaluating properties. Well, having that sense of urgency from the buyer that somebody else is going to get it. They'll, I, somebody will, everybody wants what everybody wants and nobody wants what nobody wants. People will pay you to keep somebody else from getting it because they want it. But if you're not worried about somebody else getting it and nobody else wants it, first of all, what's wrong with it? And secondly, there's the incentive to negotiate. And I think, what would you, what's your advice on um, when when sellers say, what, you know, sellers say, well, we've got to have room to negotiate, which, which I wouldn't, I think that all varies in price point and market and property. But in general, in Atlanta, the difference between when a house goes under contract, the difference between the final list price and the sale price is on average 2%. And depending on the market, anywhere between one and two properties per 10 goes under contract for asking or better. Now, as the price point changes, that adjusts, adjusts a little bit, maybe up to 5%, but not as much as you might think. So I, I give you all of that just to give my perspective on, on this market in Atlanta. But when a seller comes in and says to you, what, what, is, what, is, what is your success and have you seen so many real estate agents be successful in, in helping them understand that there comes a point that too much room to negotiate is pushing you out of the market? How do you yeah, communicate? I kind of just I, did it. I like but, tell, yeah. Yeah. I like to tell sellers there's three kinds of buyers. There's the new and waiting buyer, the ones that are sitting there waiting for new inventory to come on the market. Those are the best buyers. They're the most emotional. They'll pay the most and they're the most motivated. And they're usually the easiest to work with. Mm -hmm. The second is the dealer. The dealer comes in and wants to wheel and deal and, you know, they usually show up about, you know, 180 days after the property's been on the market. They start wheeling and dealing and they, you know, and they're, they're, they're just in a lot of ways a nuisance to sellers because sellers don't want to wheel and deal their most important asset away. And then exactly. the third type of buyer are the bottom feeders. And the bottom feeders are the ones that come in a little bit later and they just lowball and steal properties basically. And it's fine. It's a fair business practice to try to flip them or do whatever they want to do with them to, to make a profit. And mm -hmm. so what I tell people is if you, when they say, well, I want to build a cushion in and have some room for negotiation, what they're doing is they're catering their per, their price to the number two buyer, the dealer. Mm -hmm. And that isn't who you want to deal with. No. You want the new and waiting buyer. The new and waiting buyer doesn't deal. When they see something they like, they, they buy it. For it. Before somebody else gets they it. They pay for it. And so I would tell people, if you price the property to attract dealers, then you will attract dealers. But what we're trying to do is get you to attract the new and waiting buyers that are going to jump when they see your property hit the market at, and, and it's priced at a fair, you know, a fair value. Exactly. Exactly. That's brilliant. It's taking it, flipping it. It's not, you know, it's easy for us to see everything from our perspective, but the whole point is the buyer's writing the check. We've got to put this, we've got to think about this from the buyer's perspective and get this in front of the buyer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Jerry, it's like, it's like, you know, if, if somebody goes online to buy a treadmill on, you know, some classified ad and, and, and a new treadmill is 1500 and they see it priced on the site for 12 or 1300 the first thing they're going to do is lowball the person selling it mm -hmm. because they, they're not going to pay $300 less or $200 less for a used treadmill when they can buy one that's new. If you price the treadmill at 900 now all of a sudden somebody's saying, well, you know what? That's pretty fair. I'm saving 600 bucks. And you know, I don't yeah, know. Great so, analogy. You know, and so, yeah. So, you know, you just have to look at the psychology of it. If what sellers want to do is attract the dealers, then they will attract them by the way they price the property. And we don't want number twos and number threes. We want the number ones because they pay more, they're more emotional, and they're way more emotional. So this leads me to quite, to um, think about these properties that it, it's kind of too late and, and you've got these these sellers who go on and they've overpriced and now they realize they're overpriced and they're going to have to lower their price. And we need to, we need to price it at market and oftentimes a little bit lower because of that time we've had on the market. Is there any insight or is it kind of like on at that point, you're like, Hey, hindsight's 2020 or is there any, you know, especially when you, there's these expired listings that we, the sellers now coming to us to take over the listing, um, we can make it a little newer, but what's your advice on that, that you tell sellers or, or that you've seen the most successful agents um, deliver to these people? Well, I think the most successful agents don't wait a long time to mm -hmm. revisit the question of market value. Mm -hmm. They're disciplined and systematic about reaching out 
some some do it every three weeks, some every four, some every five. But the point is they're reaching out in a systematic way to reevaluate the activity, the feedback, and what's going on in the market. I don't think price revisions when you're in when you're under the average days on the market really hurt you that much. I still th- I think you can I still think you can do well if you're quick about reacting to the way the market reacts to your property. The problem exactly. though is most agents wait too long. They wait too long to reassess the value, mostly because they're scared of having that conversation or they know it will be difficult and, and uncomfortable. And they get past the average days on the market. Once you're past the average days on the market, now you're really chasing the market down. And so I don't, I don't mind sellers that want to test a higher price point, but that have committed that if it doesn't work quickly or we don't, we're not seeing signs that it's, it's attracting the right people, we'll mm-hmm. adjust quickly and find fair market value. So I think you, know, you, you can be aggressive. You just have to be smart about the way you're being aggressive. Exactly. You, you can get away with it, but you just can't wait. Time is the enemy when you've got a property on the market. Exactly. And do you have any insights on the house has been on the market, it expired, the seller said, okay, now I'm going to interview new agents and hire a new agent. And you're the new agent that's being hired. Um, is what, what's, what do you think is the advice you give the seller at that point? It's been on the market. It's past market time. It hasn't sold. It's gone off and now they're ready to try again. Yeah. I I think a lot of times it isn't just price. I think sometimes if we get in the game of encouraging a seller that has already had a listing agent and already been on the market, that the only problem is price. I think it's a Mm -hmm. real turnoff to mm-hmm. the seller, and I don't think it's 100% accurate. Price obviously plays a role, and it has to be evaluated. But exactly. I think it's back to the three things that I talked about earlier in the listing presentation. Number one is let's go through the home. What are the pros? What are the cons? And what needs to be done to make it more attractive? Number two, what, what's my philosophy? What are my qualifications? What marketing can I provide? What platform do I represent? And how am I exposing your property to find the best buyer? And then number three, which is what you asked about, is where are we on price? and, and and what is the market absorption rate? Where are we on supply and demand? What is the competition? I think you have to go back and you have to start at the beginning, and that is evaluating those three very important things in unison. And I think the mistake most brokers make is they only go straight to price. And it's such a turnoff because good advertising and good promotion and solid exposure for a property makes a dramatic difference in the ability to get it sold. It absolutely and does. And so, so, so does staging or showability or correcting some of the deficiencies that maybe some buyers are turned off by. So I think you have to go back and, and I can't believe how many times, Jerry, I go in second with, you know, one of my brokers and they've already had it listed with somebody else. And I'll ask them, okay, well, how many showings have you had, you know, with the other agent? Well, I don't know, maybe like 10, I don't know. Well, okay. What was the feedback you got from those? Oh yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. she, She called me once and she told me, I think she said that they, but I don't know. I never really heard. And I, and that, that to me is just absolutely tragic. It's such a breakdown and it's what causes our industry to be, you know, looked upon less than it should be. And Mm -hmm. we've got to be better with our clients than that collectively and individually. And we all have to make a commitment to make that happen. That's so true. What goes back to everybody says price is everything, but price isn't everything. Price is a no, huge component of it, of it, but it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. I love exactly. It's one third of it. It's not everything. So, yeah. well, what is the biggest thing that you want the listeners to take away from this interview about listing and the listing presentation? And even what's your additional advice on being a good agent in, in, in general and in this market? Well, I think the big takeaway is preparation. I, I said in my class, if you were there, uh, mm-hmm. everybody kind of got a kick out of, I can walk around my offices and I can tell when somebody's getting ready for a listing presentation, they're frantically grabbing this magazine or that, and they're stuffing, you know, pages from the printer in their bag and grabbing this newspaper ad and just, they're just frantic. And mm-hmm. they just have this look in their eye, like they're unprepared and they're trying to throw it together. So I'm a big believer in preparation and knowing what to, you know, how to attack the presentation and what's going to be most valuable for that specific client and that specific geography. And, and I, and so I think the big takeaway here is if you want to be a great listing agent, the opportunity is enormous because Mm -hmm. most listing agents are relying on past relationships 
mm-hmm. and they're relying on their personality. And those are two things that you can overcome with somebody and you can beat somebody. If you exactly. can go in and show a better way, they will, they will go away and say, Hey, you know what? They're my friend, but you know what? I think it's in my best interest to hire you. And you know, the person that's just relying on personality, you can beat them. So to all the agents out there that have been doing this a long time, the takeaway is get back to the fundamentals and the basics and get back to that preparation that made you great. Don't get sloppy and complacent and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And to the new agent, I think the takeaway is the opportunity is enormous. If you want to pay the price and you want to get prepared, you can win. And you can win at all price points. It doesn't matter uh, where you are or what area of the country you're in. You can win. You're exactly right. And it's so funny because I was doing the big takeaway, but I, but that takeaway led me to another question before we before we finish in in preparation there's 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 a few parts of the listing presentation there's the phone call there's the few days before you go to the listing appointment there's the listing appointment and then there's the after the listing appointment do you have any recommendations on here are the three things that you need to make sure they have physically in their hand before that listing appointment during that listing appointment and after that listing appointment yeah, I mean, I think, yes, the answer to that is I believe that there are fundamentals that just have to be covered. For example, photography. doesn't matter where you live or what price point you're competing in or what market you're competing in. Price point, all right, photography matters to everyone. And that, that includes getting the home ready, the shooting of the photography, what the turnaround time will be, who's editing them, what order they go in, where they will be syndicated. I mean, that is a topic that I will cover at a you know $200,000 condo to a $25 million luxury home in Deer Valley. I will cover that with everyone in between because that is something that should matter to every single consumer. So knowing what those things are to you and making sure that you cover those points well, I, I think is vital to winning. Wow, that's great. And then... Yeah. Yeah. And I think, do you, I think that would be something you take the time to cover when you get to the listing appointment in the listing appointment face to face with the client before you even talk about oh, price. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to show that. I mean, showing how photography drives good print advertising, showing how photography really now, I, the way I say it is I say the first showing now is online. You know, your first showing isn't when they show up. They've seen the home now at least once, maybe more. So having the photographs in the right order and, and um, and making sure that the home is an accurate depiction uh, of what it is mm-hmm. online, it's it's so powerful. I mean, I I still marvel at some of the photography that our industry is willing to provide. They're doing it on their own iPhones. You can see them in reflections in the oh. mirror. Toilet seats are up, garbage cans are out, shampoo bottles so tipped over. I mean, it just it just <laughs> absolutely blows me away that that's okay for them or their clients. But, and so you, you know, yeah, it, it's, and it's still going on. It's so funny you say that because everybody and it, we do we is we are in a competitive industry because everybody's a real estate agent it seems like, but then again when so many real estate agents are doing business like that it's like take who's your how much competition is there really, how much competition is right? there really? That's my point is if you're preparing yeah. you'll win because there's so many opportunities to exactly the way that things are being done. Exactly, oh that's that's awesome that's great and then you know on that note is what. Give us a story, just one story before we do close this out on something you've experienced and where you, where, how did you go from, and do you have a story or something that happened that went from, we all get in this and we don't, not everybody has this insight that you've just shared with us. I mean, it's very rare to hack, to come into a company and get this kind of insight. It's pretty much non-existent. So, you know, you went from new agent, didn't know what you're doing to now, you've got a full course that you're, you're teaching and speaking and you're coming to Atlanta to talk about what was the transition of that? And what was the story that kind of bring, brought this together and made it happen? Well, I, I think for me, the inspiration was I, when I was selling, I suddenly, I was in a good flow. I had a good book of business. I had a, I had business that I could handle. And then mm-hmm. suddenly when I built systems, and I wasn't thinking about what I was doing all the time. I was just letting it happen, like good feedback to my sellers. I didn't have to worry about it because I had built a business system where it was just going to happen as long as I was working hard because I didn't have to remember the, the checklist. I had one in place. What happened is my business went from flow to overflow. And that's what happened in running this Summit Sotheby's International Realty. 
we had a good business started 135 million and we were kind of chugging along and suddenly what we were doing resonated with so many people mm-hmm. that we had to create systems in order to make it sustainable to be able to help everybody who wanted access to, to them mm-hmm. and that's when i realized our industry could dramatically improve and i thought hey you know i have a passion for uh helping other people and sharing what i know and so i offered to share with a few people and suddenly i became a speaker and People want me to come and tell them how I've done it, and and it's very flattering. But I I would love to see our industry step its game up. I think we could do a lot better collectively, and I would like to see that happen because I think our consumers deserve it. And this industry has given me a lot, so I feel like Mm -hmm. I know and I want to give back. All right, everybody. We're here today with Jack Cotton um, in Cape Cod. Excited to have him here. Well-known for being a luxury expert and author of actually four books, but three specializing in luxury real estate and the fourth on the, what is it about the dogs? The dogs got to yes, life. Yeah. Yes. So, so let's start off. Tell us a little bit about the books that you've written. We didn't talk. We, this is Jack Cotton for a second time, everybody. We did an audio interview and decided right. it'd be a good idea to right. have him come back and and I was in the neighborhood, so why not? Right, fortunate enough that you're here in Atlanta, right. so we're getting together and going to do an interview in person and Perfect. learn a little bit more about this. You, Perfect. Everybody was so excited to hear you the first time. Uh, and we are going to focus today more on the expertise and really pinpointing what you need to be an expert in and specializing in luxury real estate and transition into what we need to talk about in the listing presentation. But let's start. Tell us a little bit about the books you've written. Well, the main book I've written is called Selling Luxury Homes. It's really everything from A to Z that an agent needs to know, understand, and implement to become an expert um, in luxury real estate, to become a trusted advisor. You, you don't want to become just a realtor. You don't want to be just an agent. You want to be their trusted advisor. People in the high end have medical experts. They have legal experts. They have tax experts. They want to know they're dealing with a real estate expert. So that's what you want to be seen as by them. So you want to become a trusted advisor there. You're the person they call and they have a question that has anything to do with real estate. You're there for them. So that's really, I think, what sets it apart. And that's what my book does. It teaches you how to become that trusted advisor to the high net worth people in your marketplace. I think that's so great, too, because so much of the training that we get in real estate is about how to get a lead or how to win a deal. Close that sale. Close, close that, that deal. Yeah. Close that deal. Right. And not that long term. What is it that right. we really do and value? Present the value. Present the value. It's all about value in the high end. People want value. You know, the conception or perception of the public, of us, is that we're toll takers on the Get Your Home Sold Highway. And the higher you go in price range, the higher the commissions are, the less those people are willing to pay a toll to get their home sold. They want to know that you are adding value, and you need to be able to demonstrate how you're adding that value and how you're not a cost, but you're a value add, not a toll taker. Exactly, exactly. And that completely diverts from negotiating commissions when you're hiring an expert. We don't right. negotiate the cost of the surgery with our heart surgeon. No, I no. Joe's discount heart surgery. I don't think so. No. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So going into that, um, we we're going to talk about you've got, we've kind of hit before we interviewed, but what we really need to focus on being experts in. Right. Well, first of all, as I said before, people in the high end, the higher you go in price, the more people want to deal with an expert. They brag about their experts. We were at a cocktail party. Oh, the guy who fixed my elbow, he fixes the elbows for the Atlanta Falcons or my tax expert, you know, whatever. They always want to brag about their experts. So you want to make sure that you are brag worthy. So there's five areas of expertise that you need to excel in to be successful in luxury real estate, to become the trusted advisor to the high net worth in your marketplace. The five areas are number one, markets and value. You need to become an expert in markets and value. What are things selling for in your market? What are they selling for per square foot, per front foot, per acre? What are the benchmarks in your marketplace? You know, are things selling for 100% of this price? What is the absorption rate? You know, what are they selling for as a percentage of property tax assessment? What are they selling for as a percentage of their zestment, for example? You want to really understand you know, markets and value in whatever geographic area you are going to specialize in, because that expertise is critical, and you can market that expertise, which I'll mention in a little while. So the next area of expertise number two is pricing. So you have the expertise of markets and value, now you have to apply that to a specific property. So 
I love watching, you know, I'm not, I don't want to make anybody angry, but you know, I watch those shows on TV, Million Dollar Agent, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't even watch it. I watch but... it, I don't watch it all the time, but I watch it sometimes. It's very entertaining, but right. what, they, what kills me is that they walk into a house and they look around like this, their hands are empty, they have no pen, they have no paper, and they, they look around the house and then the seller says, well, what should I put on the microphone? And say, 12 and a half million. I mean, I can't get away with that. I have to have expertise. I'm gonna have to check that out and see yeah, how they do that. They, and it's every time. So wow. my my sellers are tend to be way more demanding than that. I mean, I do a lot of Fortune 500 CEOs and people who've made their own money. And people who could afford a multi-million dollar house for the most part didn't get that money by being stupid or being pushovers or falling off the turnip truck, as they say. Mm -hmm. So you need to convey expertise to how you come up with the price. How do you apply the expertise you have in the first where your market is in value? How do you apply that to a specific property? Do you spin a dial? Do you pull it out of the hat? Do you ask what the competition said and raise it by 30%? I mean, those are all things that people do, not things I suggest you do, but have a process become an expert in how you price. I'll talk about that more in the listing presentations. Number three, area of expertise is what I call market preparation. Um, like if you look at my little Jack's Dictionary under market preparation, you'll see some people call it staging. I really don't like the word staging because, again, the higher you go in price, the more um, people don't like to be played or manipulated. If you look up the definition of staging in the dictionary, it's not real, it's, it's a stage. I'm not saying you shouldn't furnish a room if it needs to be furnished or you shouldn't paint it, but market preparation, if, if I'm competing with you for a listing in, in Atlanta and you tell them how, what a great stager you have, well, I know Jerry's there. I know that stager she has, I have to get a better one. And so I go in and tell them how great my stager is compared to your stager, then you find out about that, and you've got to get another better stager. It's the competition of the stager. Yeah, then I have to call Martha Stewart, and then my whole commission is gone. So <clears throat> here's what you cannot compete with with me, and I cannot compete with, with you. And that's market preparation. It's a checklist, it's a guideline, it's a protocol based upon your years of experience watching buyers go through the house and notice what makes their eyes light up and what makes their eyes glaze over. <laughs> Sorry. So in my case, I have a 52-page checklist, which is based on my years of experience. Now, if you're new to the business, you can talk about your collective experience in your office or, the, or your team. But I talk about this took four decades plus to create this checklist of what makes the eyes of buyers light up and walk into a house. Like, like vacuuming your pipes. Little things like that. Because people judge, people judge what they can't see or what they can see. If you have clean pipes, they assume that everything behind the walls is good also. So room by room by room, I've created this market preparation checklist that conveys me as a market preparation specialist. You don't need a stager. You need someone who can show you how to make your house look loved because guess what? If you don't, if it doesn't look like you love your house, a buyer's not likely to follow love with it either. So it's all geared around that. And it's, it reflects you. And when you convey that to a seller, they buy into you. You're the expert. I don't want to have to bring in other experts. I'm the expert. So then we have markets and value, pricing, market preparation. What's the next one? Uh, the next one is marketing. How do we expose your product to the market? What is your expertise in marketing? What, you know, what do you do to get the most amount of buyers to see the property? You know, it happens all the time in the high end where you, know, you go to list a house and they always say, oh, well, I had a party last summer and Sally Smith said, if you ever put this house on the market to let me know or the neighbor wants to buy it. I mean, they always want to talk to the one person who wants it. Well, that's like, that's like if this table here was the whole market for this house, why get limited to this the area of this one piece of paper by letting that one person see it? Here's my market plan, my market strategy, my market um, presence that allows me to create almost like an auction atmosphere because people high end won't act aggressively and they won't act um, forcefully unless they feel a sense of competition and urgency that comes from that feeling of competition from the whole market. So you need to have expertise in marketing. And the last area of expertise, number five, is negotiation. You've got to be seen as a, an expert in negotiation. Now, I don't care how expensive the homes are you sell. I mean, where I work in Cape Cod, they're not super expensive like other parts of the country. For us, like five or 10 million bucks is a big deal. Mm -hmm. My biggest deal was like a little bit more than 19 million. Well, guess what? 
both the buyer and the seller of the $19 million house, which is a really big deal to me, are typically, routinely, all the time doing deals on the hundreds of millions of dollars, if not the billions of dollars. So no matter what, no matter what my experience is, no matter how long I've been at this, no matter how big the house price is, I feel outgunned because to them, it's peanuts. To me, it's the biggest deal that's ever occurred on Cape Cod. To them, it's like, yeah, it's one of my five houses, time to get rid of it. You know? And the buyer's like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm putting together a whole bunch of stuff and this is like one little thing. So you have to even you have to equalize a playing field between yourself and them. That well when they're hiring, you know, once you I think once you go into negotiations, it, the emotions get involved and it does become a big deal like they're the big deals they negotiate. Yeah. Which I'll be more important in that whether it's in your listing presentation or them understanding your right. expertise that they really trust that you know you, you, do, you know how to negotiate. And you have to understand also that, you know, I deal with a lot of high end people and they're, they're funny, they have a lot of them have hobbies and avocations, like in my market, they like to play golf, or they like to go fishing, or maybe they play tennis. Mm -hmm. But you know what? There's a bunch of them, they just like to do deals and grind realtors. That's their sport. That's their fun. That's their hobby. It's but that's where you learned all of this from. Right. It's from being crowded up by these people. And um, so you really have to be seen as an expert in uh, negotiation. There's three critical lessons I've learned from you know, Oh, we definitely went through okay. those. Here's what I did. Yeah. Here's what I did. I learned this by making a complete fool of myself. There's a great book on negotiating called Getting to Yes. Yes. You read that book? I have. Yeah. I, well, I've, I'm, I'm in that book, actually, because you recommended it. Yeah. Well, anyway, Getting to Yes was written by Dr. Roger Fisher, who's passed away, law professor at Harvard University. He's a great negotiator. He negotiated the nuclear arms treaties between our, our country and the Russians among wow. many, many other things, and he wrote this book. And I liked the book so much that I took a class from him to Harvard Summer School. It was 250 lawyers and me. And on the first day of class, he said, uh, he held a first edition copy of this book, and he said, um, I need somebody to negotiate with me to get a signed copy of this book on the last day of class. My hand went up first. And so every day before we broke up into groups, I negotiated with Dr. Fisher one-on-one -on -one in front of 250 lawyers from around the world. It made a complete, total, abject fool of myself. Talk about a good way to learn. Oh, I know, but and luckily I didn't know these people. And I'm sure <laughs> I've never forgotten. That wasn't recorded? No. Maybe no. in your mind. I hope not. Anyway, the three things I learned are number one, um, you've got to have standing. Standing. Standing is what you perceived preeminence of the marketplace. I mean, if you're dealing with a Fortune 500 CEO and then it's like this little realtor from Cape Cod, I mean, it's, you've got to equalize the playing field with standing. Yes. The way you equalize the playing field is through standing is to have experience, to have market knowledge, to have data, to really understand that person's motivation, to um, find out everything you can about them and why they want this property. And the, the, secret, the, the secret bullet is on the magic bullet, oh, the silver bullet. It's, that's the right bullet, right? The silver I bullet. A, I think it's the silver bullet. Is it the silver bullet? Right. Yeah. It's the, the magic bullet. What I mean, yeah. Is competition because they think they're the only one who can buy this house. So you need to, like, we had a seller one time, mm -hmm. and he's like, okay, we, we want you to sell our house, and um, I want to exclude my next neighbor because he's expressed interest in buying it. And um, I said, well, we don't do exclusions, so you can either have me sell it to him. Or if you want, you can take a couple of months and try to sell it to me yourself. I can call me if I can help you, but I don't do exclusions. So he said, well, I'll call you back in a couple of months if I don't sell it. So a couple of months later, four months later, I'd forgotten about it. He called back to say, I'm done. I'm done. I've been trying. He offered me 4.5 million, and I don't think that's enough for my house. I said, I agree. So I listed the house, and six days later, sold it to the same neighbor for 6.5 million. Now, it's not because $2 million. yeah, two million dollars more. Was that worth? I can't talk commission, but figure that any commission worth, you want. That was worth the commission. I don't know how many people sure think they're saving commission by doing this and leaving two million dollars on the table. He was smart and didn't do that. Anyway, now I can say it's because I'm great and wonderful and all that stuff. But truth be told, it was because of the sense of competition. When his daughter looked out the window and saw me showing the house to other people, she called Dad. It said, they're showing the house to other people. Now, now there was urgency. Now there was a sense of competition. That's how you build standing. That's my first rule of negotiation, build standing. Expertise, knowing what they want, 
and um, creating an era of an aura of competition for the property that serves of urgency is how you build standing. Number two, never ever ever assume and break this rule all the time. By when you assume that the other person wants what you would want, that's a recipe for disaster. So make sure you know what they want. Negotiating is not um, listening to what they say, it's really understanding what they really, really want. And sometimes it's someone they don't say. Exactly. It used to be a game show, you're too young, but there was a game show called You Don't Say, and it's exactly right, it's what you don't say. Mm -hmm. So don't assume. I can tell you how many times people, sellers, have, for instance, um, they'll sell their home for a million dollars less to a person who's not going to tear it down, for example. I mean, money's not the most important thing. My assumption would be they want the highest price. It's not right. So don't assume. And that was a mistake I made with Dr. Fisher. I assumed what he would want for his book was one thing. And as I pursued that avenue, I was just slapped down, kicked to the curb, stomped on, and just looked like a total idiot. So never, ever, ever assume. What's an example of learning that letter? Do you have a good story in a negotiation with him to put another way, put into perspective for us? I could, but I could, it's going to make you sound so bad. <laughs> we don't want to be bad. Well, but we all, as real estate agents, we all know we've done it ourselves. Well, what a dummy to go into this thing at Harvard University, Harvard Law School, and like all these other teachers there are people you see on TV, like Alan Dershowitz and mm -hmm. Harvey, they're all dead now, except for Dershowitz. But, um, and I'm like making this fool out of myself, thinking that this guy's going to want money for his book. And that's, that's what he did. I assumed, well, I'll start with money. He didn't want money. He wanted something more than money. Anyway. Oh. Well, I think that's important in negotiating when yeah. you're giving a listing. Don't well, assume. everything we do, so much of it is negotiating when you're hiring an agent. Right. I don't want to switch topics too much, but it's, for me, it's been a great example because I've broken into the luxury real estate early in my career, you, you assume they just want the hot shot. Right. And the thing that's important to remember is if you're in the room and they're interviewing you, it's for a reason. And don't assume you know what that is either. Find Ask out. the right questions. Ask the right questions. Ask questions. Don't find assume. Out. Yeah. Don't assume anything. Don't, and don't assume you know. You know, if people go in, we have these preconceived notions about how to answer questions. Right. And I think often it's when they ask a question, understand where where is that question coming from? Exactly. Why are they asking that? And why... And, and even coming in with the questions first. And you can even ask that question. I'm curious, why are you asking that question? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know better than I do. You took the course, but... Uh, anyway, the third thing I learned, and um, this is what I'm really, really good at, which is, um, which is detaching from the outcome. Totally detaching the outcome. And one reason I'm really good at that is as I get older, I keep forgetting what the outcome is. So it's, it's, it's easy to detach. You can't remember what it was. But anyway, yeah, that's right. But if they think you're totally married to the deal, that you have to have this deal, um, mm -hmm. you start doing this. And this never works in negotiation. This is where you, this is called needs, this is called a positional negotiation. It's inefficient, doesn't work. People get mad and angry, and eagles flare up, and it just doesn't well, And tell me this. I've had this conversation with a lot of real estate agents that, in our experience in negotiating, but I think oftentimes a lot of negotiating might happen in a courtroom where, where somebody's in that courtroom because they have to be, right. and they're counting on an outside party to make the decision of what the result's going to be, so right. it's a little bit of a fight or a little bit of a, of, of a win-lose mindset. And in real estate... The seller doesn't have to sell. I mean, in some situations, it might be in their best interest. Right. And the buyer doesn't have to buy. So right. it's, and I think so often when you, and it goes back to your thing about assuming, when, be careful not to assume what the other party wants because there can be collaborations that are better than any compromise. Exactly. So find out what their needs are, mm -hmm. and then negotiate around that and keep bringing them back to their motivation and their needs. But detach from the outcome. The more you take the deal away, the more they want to do it. You know, what's your commission? It's blank. Well, I'm not paying that much. Great. Well, it's been nice talking to you. If you uh, change my mind, you get up and leave and they change your the driveway and have you come back in. Because they're obviously missing something. Yeah, detach me, okay. So those are the three rules of negotiation and those are the five areas of expertise. So when we're creating a listing presentation, we want to make sure we bring a lot of that in mm -hmm. to the listing presentation. So for example, um, Pricing and assumption go side by side. I mean, one of the first things I talk about in a listing presentation, aside from 
how great my company is and what I can do and what everybody else in the world does. I talk about my pricing process because we assume well, I have they a question know. for you. I don't want to sidetrack you too much, but when you come into a listing presentation, when do you bring pricing up? At what point in that listing? Does great question. Second visit. Okay. I do a two-step process. So how does the first visit go and how do you hold? Because they're always so eager and anxious that and oftentimes you're there just to talk price and go on and let them hire who they decide about. Not on the first visit of mine. Right. And they'll ask me 20 times and I'll tell them no 20 times. So, because I want them, I want the tension to build up. And even when my gut tells me I know the price, he's my gut's wrong. So I need to go back and follow my process to get to the right number and get some validation and verification. But I simply say to my potential seller, listen, isn't this important enough to be where I can write it down on a piece of paper and sign my name to it? I'm not going to pull a number off the top of my head. I've seen your property now. I've done some preliminary analysis. I cannot give you a price recommendation until the senior property and I'll go back and find two of the ones I've already started working on. I have a process of pricing. Mm -hmm. I explain them. That's part of my listing presentation. Here is my process. Here's how I expertise. But I don't give them the price until the second visit. I tell them how I'm going to do it because they have no idea. We assume they know all the work we've done. In fact, to really equalize the playing field and help with the listing presentation, I always deliver a pre-listing presentation that explains to them what I'm going to do before I get there. They need to know I just don't show up. They need to know what it is I did. What do you do to prepare for a listening presentation? That should be in your pre-listing presentation. So people, they have no idea. You're assuming they know. They have no idea. Well, some agents do just show up. <laughs> I guess. I guess. But the, I think the higher the, the, the higher end, well, even when the agents do show up, we've got a lot of experience that came in front of that. But as listings get more competitive and that price goes up, there's right. definitely... We definitely better go in there to be prepared. But sometimes with experience comes complacency and a sense of entitlement. And that is a beautiful edge for new people to break in. When, a, when an experienced entrenched agent has complacency and a sense of entitlement, that's your ticket to enter. So. I like that. We're, yeah. we're going to quote you on that. Yeah. So to walk us through that, just to give us a quick, do you have any kind of format that you follow on that first listing appointment or Absolutely. is it just a tour? Will you share with us what that is? Yeah. In fact, instead of writing, I give it to myself. Of course, they know I want them to know what's going to happen. I tell them, here's all the things I did to prepare for the appointment. Here's what's going to happen on the appointment. We're going to say hello. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk. Mm -hmm. You're going to ask me any questions you have. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions. You are then going to show me your house. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to go back and sit down someplace. I'm going to go back through your house on my own. Then I'm going to dictate and measure every inch of your house. I have a dictation on finger one hand and a laser measure, and I go through the whole house. Understand that for two reasons. Number one, I'm forgetful, and I need to have this record of my having walked through the house. If I write it down, you'll be able to see it. And number two, now this, it's a little bit of performance art. I know when we get to price on the second appointment, nine times out of ten, they hate my price. Sometimes even hate me because of my price. And um, I want them to reflect and think, God, I hate his price. But he's the only one who measured. He's the only one who dictated the image of my house. He's the only one who followed the process. Maybe he's right. Being Which is that you're establishing standing. Yeah. And by the way, I am always right. It's amazing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'm pricing. Wow. I, I don't always get the listing, but I'm always right. And that's, that's partly why. Yeah. I think that, that. that you just detach from that and focus right. on the one you're going to list itself. So then, after I view the house and measure it and dictate it, I tell them I'm going to answer any more questions you may have thought of while I was muttering through the house from my dictaphone, and then I'm going to leave. And I'm going to take all the information I got from um, my first appointment, and I'm going to you know, mix it up and stir it up and cross it with the tea and, and turn it. And don't forget the magic potion, yeah, which you're going to, which we're turn, going to sell it all Turn it into a CNA. Yeah, it's going to be right. great. And, um, and then I'll come back to you in the second appointment. I'll present my marketing plan and my price opinion. And um, so, but anyway, it's all about process. Everything's about process. And I find that whenever I vary from my process, whenever, whenever I veer off, is when I get into trouble. Like one time, you like hear all the times I mess up. So, um, Good. Yeah. We need to hear this. No, it's, trust me, it's like every hour. But anyway, I went to this listening presentation at a really nice house. I mean, not really, a really expensive house, wasn't really nice. And uh, the woman was sort of in real estate, she was connected with another office, and I think that she's being used to 
validate a price for the person she's going to give it to. So I just did everything I shouldn't, everything I told you to do here, I didn't do, including giving her a price at the top of my head. So I said, yeah, you're how she suffers. So I never heard back. Like two months later, I get a call from my sister. I'm in Canada for a real estate conference in Canada. They're in my hotel room, always on my laptop, and she goes, oh, I just wanted to touch base about the price of opinion to give my sister. So I'm firing up my computer, going to my potential listings folder, scrolling down, trying to find this address. I'm like, it's not there. And I'm, I'm panicking, panicking on the phone. It's not there. Because I, I didn't do it. I didn't follow my prices. And do you think I could remember what I told wow. the sister for a price? No. No idea. So anyway, that didn't look too great. Anyway, um, I finally did get the listing, but it was not, not pretty. It's like how the, it's like how the Patriots won the Super Bowl. It wasn't a pretty looking one. But anyway. Um, All the Atlantans can relate to that. I know. They I got was, there, but it was not pretty. I was, I was so disturbed by that. I read a blog on it. I did too. Did you really? Yeah. Well, you should read that Actually, I saw yours because yours outlined like seven things yeah. to consider in competition. Yeah. Mine just was sad. Mine um, just wrote about it. It was, it was emotional for me. Anyway. I mean, I don't even watch sports, but back to, but back um, to real estate. So, anyway, so on the second appointment, I present my listing presentation. I tell them about my process or pricing. That's important. They need to know whether you I have a seven step process. It doesn't really matter. If you have three or 27 steps, just have a process and explain what it is. Then I tell them about market preparation. You know, why did I say, if anyone's talking about staging, you might hear the word staging in the course of your, you know, your discovery of the perfect agent to listen inside your home. But understand if they use the word staging, they may not be in tune with the way buyers in the high end think today. Because buyers in the high end today really don't want to be manipulated. Not tell them the story. We're selling this brand new house. Great building. It was her first spec house. She paid three million to build this house. We were selling it for two. It didn't, oh, wow. wasn't a good, yeah, it wasn't no. great. Anyway, she was so, I hate to say desperate, she was so motivated, it was a great word to use, mm -hmm. to sell the house. They staged it, you wouldn't believe, like I had a showing, and she and her sister made an apple pie, best apple pie I've ever had. Smelled up the whole place of apple pie. And then she, right before she left and before I showed up, she set a fire in the fireplace with birch logs. Now, nobody burns birch logs. Those are for looks. You don't burn birch logs. You burn oak logs. Birch logs are the white ones, right? You set those on fire. Those are for looks. So the buyer comes in and like, oh, it smells good in here. And like, are those birch logs in the fireplace? <laughs> like, this, why is the seller trying so hard? What are we missing? What's wrong with this house? Why is it sold? What's story? What's the issue here? What's wrong? You know, they're like, what are we missing? What are we missing? Yeah, what we around the yeah. Wow. They ultimately bought the house, but it was harder work because of how much staging the seller had done. Market preparation is so much more effective. Um, That's a great. Example. It's harder to compete with, right? Yeah. Uh, the next thing we talk about marketing. Here's what we're going to do to market your house, including, um, you know, I don't do any print anymore. Pretty much, but you know, internet marketing, photography is so critical. Video is so critical. Um, just talk about all your marketing. Video of just like here's the kitchen, here's the. You've got to really tell a story now mm -hmm. and make your video part of having people feel like they can see themselves in the video. Exactly. You know, watch a kids' toy commercial on Saturday morning and how they shoot those, I and mean, you can see the kids' hands. I mean, they can sort of feel themselves in the video. That's how you want to shoot a video. Well, I think it's key, even, and I'm surprised in listing comments even now, how I, well, I used to explain to the sellers how important photography was, but I don't know if you have this experience, but they're actually honing in on photography with me because they're not impressed with the photography that they're seeing no. online. Which I'm no. no, no, you need great photography and you just can't walk through your house with an iPhone. You need a real videographer who knows what they're doing, who has a steady, a steady thing, so people are getting, have it, what's that? Do you have to take um, motion sickness pill? I mean, you don't want to have people taking motion sickness or, pills. Or, or, or if you're into holistic ginger, that helps. Okay. Just, There's a seasick pill. I'm on the water, we take, we take seasick pills. You don't want people taking seasick pills to watch the video. You want somebody who really knows what they're doing to shoot the video. Exactly. A video expert. Well, it's the lighting of, is perfect, the lighting is right, the lens is right. The steadiness is the right. Shots are right. The, the timing. Right. I think timing's key. 
Absolutely. You're a house and you miss, you, if, you, if the timing's not right, they may miss the master bedroom because yeah. they were being taken through the wrong part of the house at the wrong time. So you want to tell them so much that you feel they don't need to come and see it in person. You want to tell them enough, but not too much. So the video should tell a story. They should picture themselves in there, should demonstrate the lifestyle of being in the house and should be well done. Exactly. And the cool thing about the video is that I love putting them on Facebook. And because you know, what I love about Facebook and video is that you can measure the views. Now, I was telling my neighbor's house, we shot a video. We did um, our professional photographer, videographer, he had put GoPros on a car, we put GoPros on a boat, we put he had the still camera, we did everything. He took like, I don't know, if you add up all the cameras, five cameras times an hour, we had five hours of video to condense down to three minutes. We put it on Facebook, we boosted it, we had 8,000 views. This is hysterical. I didn't even know this. I forgot about this until just this moment. Guess what? So I'm like, this is never going to, I mean, this is cool. 8,000 views. This is going to help me get a price reduction because I'm going to go to the seller and say, Mr. Seller, I mean, 8,000 views and nobody came to see your house. So I think we need to adjust the price. But actually what happened was, you know, I can believe this, some guy flies up to Cape Cod from where? At Wanton. Never oh, even, he's never even been to my town and he buys the house.